Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I think he feels the excitement, so yeah, it's hard to calm him down. I have to sit with him in a little bit. Um, so I just, I want to say, um, I'm, I'm so grateful that we're here for another session because this is really, I mean, such a gift and especially to be able to cover um, Surah Rahman and the professor will talk about why we are all being given this gift. Um, but I um, personally just want to, again, say this is such, you know, an important project that we all, you know, know um, has such important meaning for the future of Muslims. And so I really just want to, again, emphasize, um, you know, feel empowered to make this like your own mission too, because, you know, here on, on our end, you know, definitely I'm um, trying to do as much as I can on my part, but this is something that really requires a community effort. And I want people to feel like this is, you know, this is yours because this is gonna be as valuable for all of, you know, the people that we know as well as, you know, for our ability or to preserve this legacy. Um, our number right now, um, out of you know, a, an estimated uh, or a, a equivalence of 400, we're around 120. So we still need you know, quite a number of people to donate. Um, it doesn't have to be um, you know, $100 a month. It can be whatever anyone you know, is able to give. So I you know, want to emphasize something. Some people um, read the language to mean like, if I can't give $1,200, I can't give 100, then, you know, that, then I shouldn't give. But no, absolutely not. You know, we want to definitely share the blessings with everyone that we can. Um, a lot of people have written to say that they would like to be among the two to four students that are studying with the professor. And you know, uh, that's wonderful. It's really encouraging. Um, and really what I say is that we, we can't really even move to that, that point of the planning process until we have enough funding to make sure that this project can move forward. So, um, you know, if there's anything, I know that um, there are a lot of people who've been um, doing a lot of work, like I know, I don't know if Kamran's here. Kamran, um, you know, actually drafted a telephone script um, to, you know, help people who want to make phone calls. And so we can, you know, can definitely share that with you. And I know that Sharif is going to be um, organizing sort of a task force. So if you're interested in being part of this sort of special task force to just share ideas and support each other and, um, do whatever we can and meet regularly um, to really, you know, focus on this effort. That would be wonderful. So the only thing I, I just wanted to share um, that I actually a lot of people have also um, sent in more testimonials. So if you feel, you know, the the need um, or the if the spirit moves you, please do send me a testimonial so I can add it. I created a web page um, at usuli.org that's dedicated to all of those beautiful testimonials, and they're really powerful, very emotional. I think that when you read them, you really get the sense that people are just you know, they, they recognize how important this project is. And I just wanted to share with you, you know, we get a lot of emails, um, very touching emails. And this one, um, this is not a testimonial, but this was just something that came to me a couple of days ago. And um, it says, I, I, want, I just want to share my appreciation and thanks for the past couple of weeks of halakas and Q&As. They have been joyful, inspirational, and eye-opening. I cannot fully convey how grateful I am for the life-changing work you are doing. Since I first got to know about Dr. Khaled and the Usuli Institute, my understanding of Islam and my relationship with God have improved tremendously. I feel like I am born anew. Thank you so much for being the means to and helping me realize this opening. You are in my prayers. So, you know, we get a lot of messages like that that are just so beautiful and it's, um, you know, really encouraging and it just makes me think about how um, the potential, you know, for being able to hopefully give that gift to so many more people and that's really our goal is just to, you know, get as many people to be aware of this approach and, and you know, reconnect with Islam in the most beautiful way possible. So anyway, that's really all I wanted to say and um, 
Yeah, inshallah, I'm looking forward to an amazing session. So thank you again for um, being here. And there we go. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Okay, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa shuhu sabi wa sabi wa mdihahlu l-uqdat al-sinif. Wa qawla wa sabi wa sallim wa barika ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabu utama bi ihsanin ila yawm al-deen. So, the reason we are doing Surah Ar-Rahman is really Sharif. He's the reason. Uh, he has, for many years now, has been um, obsessed with Surah Ar-Rahman and, um, and has uh, more recently been pressuring me to, to uh, cover Surah Ar-Rahman because he, he doesn't want to wait um, so the, uh, uh, yielding to the the pressure that Sh- Sharif has uh, been putting, I've I've um, decided to put to do Surah Rahman, and um, uh, with the, with the understanding that uh, keep in mind that school is going to begin soon, inshallah. And and that means I'm going to be teaching, um, inshallah. And then it, it, you know it it becomes the the halakas will be in fact limited to once a month because I I just can't do more than once a month um, when school starts. And the the halakas will be limited to the other tafsir what I call the traditional tafsir. Um, I pray that uh, that this project um, gets off the ground. I, I, I you know, uh, may Allah present whatever is best, but, you know, we, we do what we can. A lot, as Grace mentioned, a lot of people are writing, asking to be among the four who are dedicated a year to to the study of the Quran, and I'm not even getting to that issue. I'm not even looking at people uh, until I know that the project is going to get off the ground because there's just no point um, if if it doesn't come together or if we. That you know, it's just not going to materialize. So there, there is no point investing the time and uh, the the very involved process in in picking among the the people who are interested, um, because that year long journey would be very intense and it would be a very personal journey. And you wanted to go to the people that, at least to the best of my ability, I think can benefit the most from it and can grow from it the most. Um, and so it's a, it would be an involved decision and it would be a, 
a major decision. Um, but again, we don't even need to get to that bridge unless we know that this project is going to, to in fact, materialize. You know, for me, I live with the soar on a daily basis. I mean, I, I live with them in, in a in a consistent, rather persistent fashion. And it is uh, it is very hard when you when something becomes very personal to you, to um, not be able to talk about it. I mean the. Uh, I, I, it's it, it it's a bit a little bit of a, a, a torture to live with the Quranic discourse at such an intimate level, and uh, for it to penetrate every moment of your life and your entire consciousness and your entire world of feelings and world of thought and world of emotions uh, and then to basically share tidbits a little bit here and there that I share with Grace um, whenever I just can't repress it anymore or I, or I need to say something. Um, but for the most part, silence is my companion. For the most part, it's something that I just um, um, there there is no context in which I can talk about it. Um, so it is a struggle. It is a struggle, and I keep you know praying to Allah that I I don't end up going to my grave with all of that uh, limited to to my world, um, because that that is hard. Uh, when when you develop such a passion, uh, it needs a release, and when you can't release it, um, and the thought of of taking all of this to my grave is scary. But I know that you know people are doing what they can, and inshallah, something will will materialize, and we we can do this, inshallah. Okay, so. Can I add one thing? Huh? Can I say one thing? What do you say? Can I say one thing? Oh, you want to say something? Oh, okay. I thought I, I always share a story just to build on what the professor was saying. Um, in the hallway the other night, he said to me, you know, the beginning of my career was really just about law. And then it became about law and beauty. And now that I'm at this point in my life, it's really about beauty and Allah and the Quran. And so it just really touched me that, you know, this is kind of where it, it ends. And he spends so much time um, doing this that it's you know, it's really actually not right that I'm the only one that gets to receive all of this tidbit of knowledge. So I want to share with everybody. And um, so inshallah, we'll, we'll do that. But um, yeah.
I think that was all I wanted to add. Yeah, life is a journey, and it is only those who want to believe that they remain constant and unchanging in life are really unfortunate. I mean, for, for one, they're probably deluded, and they probably don't have much introspection, and they probably spend way too much time looking at other human beings rather than looking inwards. Um, it is fair to say, it is fair to say that about 80% of the time in which you inspect, you should introspect. And only 20% might be spent um, looking outward at other human beings. And you look outward to, as the case might be, for a variety of purposes. But sometimes in, in your journey in life, uh, especially if you're training, your introspection might be 100% of the time. And in fact, if you have a teacher, your teacher might say, for this period of time, I do not want you to judge anyone regardless and simply look inside if you look inside and if you introspect and if this is a a, a a consistent method now remember that introspection is not possible without humility the key to self-knowledge is humility without humility it's a, it's a non-starter. I mean, there's there's just no... You're not going to go anywhere, regardless of how much introspection you do. Uh, because that introspection will be, by definition, deeply flawed and misguided. But life is a journey. And because it is a journey, there are transformations. And transformations are not only legitimate, but they are necessary. And it is entirely morally sound, philosophically sound, and Islamically sound to study, to focus your attention, of your, the, the attention of your study at one point at the rules that society needs and at how Allah engages society with rules and laws to regulate things. The remarkable thing about law, though, is that the more you study it and the more you understand it, um, the more you realize that law is an instrument of last resort. And that any society that runs itself per just the law, in other words, in any society that relies on the law to regulate its its affairs, uh, isn't it's a society in trouble. It's probably a failed society. Uh, the law intervenes as a last resort when all 
when in, in numerous instrumentalities before the law kicks in uh, fail. But society must be run by ethical norms, moral norms, by virtue. Virtue is really the instrument running society. And law, no matter what, law cannot instill virtue in people. Law only functions when all else fails. So when people fail to be virtuous, they fail to do what they ought to do. Then we talk about law. So, you know, eventually, and it took me decades and, and, and hundreds and hundreds of books and studies and hours of reflection and um, to come to a point where I am far more interested in the tools that society needs before we even get to law. But then society is dependent on moral individuals. If you don't have moral individuals, you don't have um, virtuous individuals, then again, you're in trouble. And so I, I migrated in, in slow steps to a point where my, my entire being became um, um, became far more interested in, in Allah and the individual, in the maker, the, the secret of the universe, the, the one force without which none of this makes sense. Um, the entire universe fails to make any sense. Human life fails to make, no longer can make any sense without the divine. And when you get to a point where you see the, you know, first you see the, um, the hand of God in everything, and then you see God in everything. Um, it's not that you see the traces of God any longer, but you see, you actually see God in everything. It's as if God manifests in everything. And when you get to that stage, Nothing in life is fulfilling except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, it's sort of everything is a is pale and tasteless in comparison. Everything in existence is pale and tasteless in comparison. Is everything okay? I I noticed uh, these guys are freaking out, so I'm suspecting a devil attack.
We might have a double attack. I'm not sure. Hold on. Yeah. Uh, sorry, some people are saying that we, we're having a problem with the YouTube live stream, so we're restarting it. So that's, yeah, that's probably our double attack. For so it is a double attack, yeah. So just give us a moment. Okay. Um, tell them what, what, you know, so that they don't get bored. Oh. Tell them what's going on. Oh, okay. No, I did mention it. Just, I'm yelling. Okay. <laughs> so I'm the entertainment while we do that. <laughs> I'll tell you another story. So, of course, we have always have to have something paranormal in our activities, right? So <laughs> I'll tell you another story of a devil attack, which I've talked about before, but... Um, there have been a couple of times where we literally have um, been set up to do the chutbah and the camera, which is autofocus and it's like top of the line, will not come into focus for the life of me. And like you'll actually, if you go back to the YouTube, there is one, um, there is one chutbah, I don't remember what date it is, but the whole chutbah is like just blurry. And so I have to say, you know, I'm sorry for the technical difficulty. And then someone chewed me out by saying, well, you should buy a backup, you know, digital camera for exactly these kinds of things because this is so valuable. So the next time that this happened, I was like, oh, my God. So I actually grabbed the, the, grabbed the, the camera and I ran to the pr professor and I said, pray on this, please. And then he prayed on it and then it started working again. So this has happened a couple of times. And so usually it's a sign. I mean, I take it definitely as a sign that it's going to be an incredible session. Um, especially for Surah Rahman, this is such a weighty one um, <clears throat> that the professor, just so you know, has been feeling actually quite ill for the last couple of days. Like literally from the moment he decided that he wanted to do Surah Rahman a couple of nights ago, he all of a sudden started feeling ill. So, you know, and there's no reason. I mean, we're not going anywhere, doing anything. But so it's part of the, you know, the devil attack. I mean, this is this has happened so many times that it's really not a coincidence anymore. But there's always, you know, we expect that something will come to interrupt um, our efforts to try and make something happen. So inshallah, inshallah, you know, make dua that things go smoothly and that um, we have no more devil attacks, um, inshallah. But I, I think that this particular um, Surah, you know, what the professor told me about it is really life transformative. And I think it's especially exciting that now we will have the combination of both the line by line tafsir that we've already done, which was back in the summer of 2018. And then plus this, this approach, I think that it's just going to be stunning. So, yeah. okay. How are we doing, Sri? Okay. We're still, we're still having issues. Um, does anybody have any questions or anything? <laughs> I, could, I don't. I'm not good at telling jokes. If anyone has I think I'll just add that, um, Grace. I like. I I appreciated your sharing that bit in the beginning about the professor's journey because that's so that and then even just what he gives on his own insight on what he's discovered along the way are just so critical along with the Quran piece, but this it's just, those are like gems that we, we glean every single time. So it's just perfect. So thank you for that. Thank you. And I, I hope you guys actually, um, if you haven't yet, definitely watch the khutbah from yesterday. I thought it was particularly powerful um, because he shared a, um, a hadith that he said most people have never heard. And the title of it is, um, I think I called it something like um, the philosophy of existence in a paragraph. And it was like the idea of, you know, when you ask a question, 
it actually reveals so much about you. We, we get so many questions every single day from all kinds of people. And, it, and the professor pointed out, and which is totally true, you can tell by the way someone asks you a question where that person is coming from, how much they know, what their particular you know, biases are or what they've been exposed to that they're reacting to. And there's a whole gamut. Um, and so he then presented um, the story about when one of the companions of the prophet asked him a question, which was, how would you describe yourself? And um, it was you know, extremely powerful because he, in, in the, the context of a paragraph of response from the prophet, you get the entire encapsulation of the beautiful um, message of Islam. And actually I printed it out. This is someone actually did a really nice thing of um, time stamping for us the khutbah from yesterday. So what the prophet says, peace be upon him, when the question is, how would you describe yourself? Um, he says, the anchor of uh, my life is ilm, knowledge, and reason is the foundation of my religion, and my foundational being is based on love, and what moves me is passion, and dhikr is my companion, and my weapon in life is knowledge, and my armor in existence is sabr, and abstention and rejecting worldly goods is my path, and, or is the way that I navigate life on earth, and belief and certitude in Allah is my strength. And truthfulness is the agent that makes me in good standing with the Lord. And jihad is foundational of my character. And finally, the kernel of my life is in prayer. So that was extremely powerful. And the professor, which, you know, after one of, when we went on our, we do go on car rides to like um, just get a change of pace. Um, which, because it is difficult, you know, when you've lost your hearing and you are just in silence and, you know, he, if he's in his den just, you know, by himself working or whatever, it, it becomes very isolating. So we make a point of driving every day just to get out of the house. And that's when I actually get some of these really wonderful nuggets, right, of um, things that he's thinking about. And so he said to me, you know, I actually, in my khutbah, when I said that it's really important to you know, think about how we ask our questions. Um, he said, you know, I think I, I, that was actually more profound than I thought, than I, in, you know, intended or that I realized because, you know, when people ask questions, there are people who ask questions because they're actually trying to understand something. And then there are people who are asking questions because they're being judgmental, right? They're reacting to something that they're trying to judge. And he said that, you know, there's really no point if someone's asking a question from a judgmental perspective, there's no point in answering it. But if you are really trying to understand something like the complexity of history, then you know these kinds of questions are really important for how we understand our world. So I thought that's an, another little nugget I would share with you. I think we're good. We're good? I think so. Okay, we think we're good. We think we're almost there. So let's try again. Okay, we're gonna do it. We're gonna we're live again, alhamdulillah. And inshallah, let's Let's all make du'a. <laughs> we'll, we'll set up again. Grace was just telling me that she shared with you what I what I told her in the car. Um, yeah, you know, history is extremely complex because if you if you think of anything that happens in the present, 
you can have two very well-intentioned people, two people that experience the same events. And I'm talking about the present. I'm not even talking about history. But two people that experience the same events, and yet when they recount the events, they recount the events very differently. And the first thing you learn about law is that very sincere people, very authentic people, could disagree about the same set of events and recount them from very different perspectives with very different commitments. So if you can imagine that the present is so complex, how about history? How about things that happened hundreds of years ago? And the only way you can approach history is to try to understand. If you approach history from the point of view of trying to judge it, it will confound you. It will never yield its secrets to you because the, the, you've already assumed the arrogant position of imputing your values, your uh, epistemological conceptions, your set of experiences, whatever forms your consciousness, and you're trying to wrangle in history under the limited expanse of who you are as a human being. It will confound you. It will defeat you. You will think you're judging history, but in reality, you're judging yourself. You're undermining your own self. The questions we ask history are very important. They are an expression of what we are. What happened now? They, they are an expression of what we are and who we are. Um, inshallah, I, I will give the text of the hadith that I was talking about uh, to Grace. Maybe someone can translate because the, I didn't actually translate the full hadith in the khutbah. I, I, it's off again. Um, it's, but it's um, it's remarkable that the type of questions we asked of our tradition, and I try to demonstrate this time and again, I I try to show that the type of questions we've asked have taught us about our tradition, but has left so much out. So I actually often pick things that I'm fairly sure that the vast majority of Muslims have never heard, including this hadith, for instance, where uh, Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu asked the Prophet والسلام, to describe who he, who he is, or how would he describe himself. And a hadith like that is so important, uh, because you have the, 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 the words of the Prophet as to how he sees himself. And Immediately in this hadith, the Prophet uses aql, reason, uses hub, love, and uses ma'rifah, knowledge, and uses ilm, 
other than using sabr and jihad and so on. And it is amazing. It is amazing that you can find so many Muslims that, you know, the idea that the Prophet ﷺ would describe reason, aql, as a foundation of his character or his religion. Or the fact that the Prophet ﷺ would say that love is what defines me. You can still meet a lot of Muslims that will tell you there is no aql, or Islam never endorsed aql, or Islam never endorsed love. And we have to ask ourselves, if if this if this, if hadith like this, and again every khutbah I give many examples, uh, um, have been in the tradition for hundreds of years and have been in the core of the tradition in Bukhari and Muslim and so on, then why is it that we are learning about them for the first time now? Why is it that we need the Khalid Abul Fadl to come and tell us about them? What type of questions? have failed us so that we've never learned about these things in our tradition. When you when you, you encounter a narrative in which a woman tells the Prophet how her father was a man of high ethical character, Makarim al-Akhlaq. And on that basis the Prophet says, well then you cannot, we cannot enslave you. We, we cannot apply the law of war to you because makarim al-akhlaq is your ransom. And again, listen to the khutbah to, to, to get the details. That has profound implications, profound implications for how we understand. Now, again, why is it that we are... And again, I'm willing to bet that the vast majority of people have never heard about this. And and what is it about our institutions? What is it about our experience in modernity that made us ask the type of questions that have led to the level of ignorance that we suffer from? Are we are we okay? Are we set to go? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد وعلى اله واصحابه واتبعوا باحسان الى يوم الدين سوره الرحمن it is not an exaggeration to say that surah ar-rahman is not just a companion it is um If there is something closer in terms of relationships than a marriage, then Surah Ar-Rahman would be it. The relationship with Surah Ar-Rahman is closer than the relationship with a marriage. And inshallah, I will explain why and how. In fact, I believe that the reason that Surah Ar-Rahman is in the Quran we talk about each chapter in the Quran having a primary function and a primary purpose. And Surah Ar-Rahman's function and purpose is companionship, is to be your intimate companion. 
And if Surah Ar-Rahman is your intimate companion, it the veils that it removes, the consolation that it provides, are in truly indescribable. So normally I tell you about the verses that I've used for zikr in each surah. Well, at le- I mean, at least in the surah that we've done so far, but there, there, there are verses that of zikr that I use for each surah in the Quran. And in the case of Surah Ar-Rahman, I did not use a verse, but I used words. And we will start with the unusual beginning of the words that I used as dhikr. to attain an understanding of Surah Ar-Rahman. We know that Surah Ar-Rahman begins with the name of the Lord, Ar-Rahman, Allama Al-Qur'an, Khalaq Al-Insan, Allamahu Al-Bayan. It starts out with the name of the Lord, Ar-Rahman. And then it takes us to the idea of al-mizan. And so what I've done in sessions and I'm describing to you a process that takes you you go to sleep and you dream of the surah and you pray and you enter into a state where you lose um, a sense of time and a sense of place you're not quite sure where you are or or how long it's been or and what came are initially two words, al-mizan, the balance, and al-rahman. So I would sit and repeat, al-mizan, al-rahman, al-mizan, al-rahman, al-mizan, al-rahman. As I repeated these two words, al-mizan, al-rahman, and I will explain the the nexus between them. Eventually, my soul was only saying al-rahman, 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 as. as what I can only describe perhaps as illuminations 
as the vision of Ar-Rahman and Al-Mizan and the relationship between Al-Mizan, the balance, and Ar-Rahman, manifested in my consciousness, eventually Al-Mizan itself vaporized and I was simply saying Ar-Rahman, 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 Ar-Rahman. And I don't know for how long, except that these were all in, in many sessions over different days, but that's all my, what my heart wanted to say is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahman. That's that's where the, the, the only thing that my tongue would say. And eventually, as I moved from Al-Mizan, Ar-Rahman, to simply Ar-Rahman, I found myself uttering for long periods of time, Allah men, Ar-Rahman, Allah man Ar-Rahman, Allah man Ar-Rahman. So normally I start with the ayat, but in this session I'm sharing with you the dhikr first. So, first I started out with a dhikr and reflection on the connection between the balance and Ar-Rahman. And then I moved on to the singular expression of divinity, Ar-Rahman. And then I found myself saying, Allah man, Ar-Rahman. This is all in accordance with, and in fact, is how Surah Ar-Rahman navigates your being. Surah Ar-Rahman itself. So first, you must attain an understanding of the critical importance of Al-Mizan, the concept of Al-Mizan the concept of the intricate balance that is necessary for existence and is necessary for justice. And then you, to various degrees of depth, you realize that this intricate balance of existence and indeed justice itself is impossible without Ar-Rahman. Why Ar-Rahman? Because it is Allah's it is Allah's grace it is Allah's grace that allows us, allows the balance to be maintained 
And it is Allah's grace that sustains this balance and holds it up. And it is Allah's grace that navigates the souls of human beings so that they can be capable of justice. If Allah abandons you, if Allah abandons you, you will, no matter what you do, you will not be capable of achieving any measure of justice. But then, as you migrate in your dhikr, as Surah Al-Rahman does, and we'll talk about this in a second, you realize that the only reality, the, the only truth there is, is a Rahman. In fact, everything else is a red herring. It's, um, it is, but it has no essence of truth. The only essence of truth is the Rahman. But eventually what reveals itself to you is that concept of duality that you find in Allah when Allah man has two meanings, has a duality of meaning. Okay, so who is Allah? And Surah Al-Rahman answers this to you, answers this for you. And it says, Allah is Ar-Rahman. This is the truth of your Lord. The compassionate, the merciful, the one with, without which none of the good that we see at any level is achievable or is attainable. There is no beauty that can be attained without Ar-Rahman. But at the same time, Allah man has another meaning. And that is what gratitude, the gratitude that is owned to Allah. If you are, if you in your heart and in your mind, you are unable to understand that gratitude. In other words, if you in your heart and in your mind, you are not a grateful human being, then your iman is a fallacy. There are so many of us that say, that say we believe. But as Surah Al-Rahman teaches us, so many of us that say we believe, but we are not grateful. We don't have the realization of that we are proud human beings so that our pride stands in the way so that we are not quite sure why we owe gratitude to Allah. The reason we are not sure why we owe gratitude 
is because of deficiencies in our soul. We might be unhappy people. We might be unsettled about our relationships. We might be unsettled about our career. We might be unsettled about our achievements in life. And we look at all of that and we are not honest with ourselves in confronting ourselves with the reality that we are not just unsettled, but we carry a dogina, we carry um, um, Bahina, uh, we carry a gripe. We carry a gripe. And the reason what, what, what holds, what stands as an obstacle between us and Allah is our gripe. But see, to have a gripe with Allah means you lack humility. So many of us, in fact, although you will not admit it, so many of us hold a gripe because there are things in our life that we are unsatisfied with. Our claim of surrender to the Lord is not entirely honest and it's not entirely pure. In order to attain an understanding of Surah Al-Rahman and for Surah Al-Rahman to take you to the heights that it is capable of take you, taking you, your zikr al-mizan al-Rahman 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 Allah man al-Rahman Allah man al-Rahman your zikr must allow you the introspection to strip yourself naked before your own eyes and to confront yourself, do you hold a gripe? Are you in, do you in fact exist in a relationship of gratitude with Allah? You see, Life is like a factory. Existence, you know, things are, DNA is working all the time, right? Atoms and molecules are doing their job all the time. There are animals, there are plants, there are germs, there are vegetation, there, you know, an entire factory working. An entire factory already functioning, intense, it produces all the time. Now, you are born, you find yourself in the heart of this factory. When you come to existence, you come to this factory that, is, that already pre-exists. 
But as you grow up in this factory, you realize that there is an expectation. What is the expectation? Is that you adopt a role in that factory and you perform your job. Some of us say, well, okay, the, these are the rules of the game. The factory has, is already there. And if I'm going to exist in this factory, I have to do my job. I have to do my part. And the owner of this factory will reward me at the end. But so many of us find themselves in this factory and their attitude is, why am I in this factory? Why do I have to do a job? Why do I have to perform a task? I didn't ask to be born in this factory. I object. Well, you can object all you want. But the fact that you're not doing a job, you have become a liability upon this factory. And the owner of the factory is, un is not pleased with you because you have become a liability upon this factory. You carry all types of grievances because you were born in this factory and these grievances stand as an obstacle between you and a relationship with the owner of the factory. Now, ask yourself, is it logical? The factory is already there. You're born into it. You can have your grievances, and at the end, the owner of the factory will say, you didn't do a good job. I'm not pleased with you. Get out of my sight. Alternatively, you can do the job and the owner of the factory and say, good job, you were a very, you were a great addition to the factory, you added value, I'm happy with you, here's your reward. So many of us, so many of us never get beyond the point of the grievance. But even worse, even worse, some of us forget that the factory already has an owner and it's already in production and it's in production before you came and in production after you leave. And they start acting as if they own the factory. They become a usurper, a gossip. Now they're in serious trouble with the owner of the factory. I invited you to this factory to do a job and you started acting like you own the place? Owning, controlling people, oppressing people, hurting people, your co-workers. All of us are born in this factory and all of us will leave this factory and all of us will meet the owner of the factory So, Surah Al-Rahman, not only tells me that this factory has an owner, but it tells me that this owner is a caring, loving owner.
is an owner. If you want a good relationship with the owner of this factory, this owner is so kind that he is that this that the owner is happy to have a relationship with you. But your grievances, your short-sightedness can stand as an obstacle to the realization of Ar-Rahman. 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 Now we start Surah Ar-Rahman. Okay, so first, when was Surah Ar-Rahman revealed? We're not quite sure. The majority said that it was a Meccan surah. And Ibn Abbas said that it was revealed in Medina, not Mecca. But what we know, what we know is more or less Surah Ar-Rahman was revealed as one of the 90th surahs. So it could be 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97. Some said that it was 97. Some said no, it was 92. Anyway, so it comes at a juncture when Muslims have already learned the ethical values of the Quran have already been shaped by the ethical values of the Quran. And now they are being taught something about their Lord that is an essential and critical message. One of the things that you notice about Surah Al-Rahman immediately is the constant refrain translated somewhat poorly because it's very difficult to translate that expression so what of the bounties of your Lord do you deny? What of the abilities of your Lord do you deny? What of the rights of your Lord do you deny? It is reported that the companions, when Surah Al-Rahman would be recited, every time the reciter would say, that the, companions, that the companions of the Prophet would respond, They would respond, None of your bounties, your abilities from your ala, 
of your abilities, your bounties, your powers do we deny and to you is hamd, to you is gratitude. As I did dhikr on the surah, and I researched the surah over the years, now notice when I did the traditional tafsir, I didn't talk about any of this. I kept all of this out. And we already talked about the methodology that I've used in, 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 in these types of tafsirs and why they're not the traditional tafsir. Anyway, so what comes, what starts emerging in your mind is that every time when the surah is being recited and the companions of the Prophet respond interactively every time the surah says they respond we don't deny any of your imagine the interaction someone is reciting the rest are sitting and responding what you what you realize is that it takes you into a trance. Try playing the surah, and every time the reciter says, respond. You will see that you enter into a trance. I will talk about this trance because it is a beautiful trance. It is an illumination. It is a revelation, a personal revelation to you. Whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you. As long as you work on your gratitude. As long as you work on dissolving your grievances against the owner of the factory. Because all of us, to one extent or another, don't want to do the job. <laughs> we exist in this factory, but all of us, to one extent or another, we have a part of us like, like children. Uh, you know, I, I don't like the job that I'm assigned. Now, we know from uh, other surahs that the kuffar, the, the Meccans, would tell the Prophet, وَمَرْ Rahman. What is the Rahman? We don't know what the Rahman is. Some authorities said that Surah al-Rahman was in part responding to the kuffar and their, their, their constant questioning of Wamar Rahman. However, the, respond to, the response to Wamar Rahman, this is in Surah 25, um, I think it's the 60, Ayah 60. We find that another Surah in the Quran responds directly to the kuffar Wamar Rahman. So, 
Surat al-Rahman itself is unlikely to have been the direct response. It, it, it might have been an indirect response, it might have been a partial response, but already we have another surah, surah 25, that responds to that question, Wamar Rahman. We also know, we also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, if you call upon Allah or call upon Rahman, it's one and the same. For Allah are all the beautiful names. So we already know that Ar-Rahman and we already know this also from the Fatha, remember that, because the Fatha is key. It's like your key to unlock everything. That Ar-Rahman has a prized position, a prized position in allowing us to understand our Lord. Some scholars over the centuries have said that Surah Al-Rahman was revealed at the same time that Surah Al-Qamar was revealed. Surah Al-Qamar, I think, is, is number 52 in the, in, the, in the Quran. 52 or 53, I don't remember, but no, it's 54, it's 54. Number 54. Surah Al-Qamar has its own refrain, and the refrain of Surah Al-Qamar that, that is constantly repeated in Surah Al-Qamar is, كَيْفَ كَانَ عَذَابِي وَنُذُرِ So, كَيْفَ كَانَ عَذَابِي وَنُذُرِ that we find in Surah Al-Qamar repeatedly talks about Allah's punishment. While Allah, while Surah Al-Rahman repeatedly talks about Allah's ni'mah. Can, can you turn on the screen? So, some scholars suggested that when you study Surah Al-Rahman, you study with it Surah Al-Qamar. That, the, 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 that in fact, you they recommended that you start out with Surah Al-Qamar and then graduate Surah Al-Rahman. I don't have a position on that. Inshallah, when Allah wills and we cover Surah Al-Qamar, there's a lot to say about Surah Al-Qamar that is mind-boggling and that will blow your mind. But... Um, That's that's not necessarily the way I, I, I don't I didn't approach Surah Al Rahman as uh, coupled with Surah Al Qamar, although that would be an entirely legitimate methodology. Okay. Surah Al Rahman if you use the Fatha as a key 
you immediately realize that Surah Al-Rahman is divided into five main parts. The first part of Surah Al-Rahman talks about the Lord and creation. This is roughly from Ayah 1 to Ayah 25, roughly. Roughly from Ayah 26 to 36, the second part talks about the supremacy of the Lord, the owner of the factory. The third part, roughly from Ayah 37 to Ayah 42, talks about the end of the human experiment, when the factory is wrapped up and demolished. Yawm al-Qiyamah. The resurrection. That's the third part. The fourth part, which is very short, is just Ayah 43 and Ayah 44. It talks about hellfire. But hellfire occupies a very small part of Surah Al-Rahman. And we'll talk about that. The fifth part of Surah Al-Rahman, roughly from Ayah 45 to Ayah 77, talks about the reward, Jannah. And we'll talk about that. So roughly five parts to this Surah. Another essential thing you notice about Surah Al-Rahman, we've did in our tafsir, the traditional tafsir, we've did um, um, Surah, um, what was it? The, the last Shafa'ul-Witr, the last Surah we did. What was it called? Yeah, Surah Al-Fajr. We do Surah Al-Fajr, and we've talked about Surah Al-Fajr, the reference to Shafa and Witr. And as we said in Surah Al-Fajr, Shafa refers to the duality. Witr refers to the singularity, the one and only. Surah Al-Rahman takes you and immerses you in the concept of duality and singularity, as we will see. The duality of things, which is the logic by which the creator created creation. Man and woman, night and day, black and white, land and water, But the truth of things is al-watr, is the singularity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the truth of things. The duality is but an illusion, it's a mirage. Okay. So, Surah Al-Rahman starts out with a shocker. One word, 
Ar-Rahman. If it grabs your attention and notice the sound that that Ismu Jalala, that name of the Lord, Ar-Rahman Inzin, the sound acoustically is an. Repeatedly throughout the surah, you will be given that sound. Ar-Rahman, Al-Quran, Al-Mizan, Tukathiban, Rabbikuma Tukathiban. That sound is not a coincidence. It is part of the function of the surah. Some surah of the Quran, the music of the surah, is as much a part of the message of the surah as anything else. And in fact, in Surah Al-Rahman, the music, the an, the an, which becomes associated in your consciousness with Ar-Rahman, the compassionate, the merciful, in order to attain an understanding of Surah Al-Rahman, you must surrender to the music of Surah Al-Rahman. And the music that sound, and, 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 is a sound of repose and comfort. I could go into musical theory, but that will take us too far. But that sound is a sound of musical comfort. And that is why, through the ages, so many people with broken hearts, with anxious hearts, with lost hearts, come to Surah Al-Rahman and they find comfort. They, they don't know why the comfort is there, but they feel it. It's unmistakable. It, it nurses their hearts. Ar-Rahman. علم القرآن خلق الإنسان علمه البيان الشمس والقمر بحزبان والنجم والشجر والشجر يجدان والسماء رفعها ووضع الميزان the an 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 and it grabs you and demands your attention but at the same time you find that sweet sensation of comfort in the music of the surah. This repeats in several parts of the Quran where the, the music of the surah is very critical to understanding the function of the surah. So, Ar-Rahman, first thing Allah alerts us to, Allah as the Rahman, as 
that compassionate fa- owner of the factory, owner of the reality that you're born in, Allah alerts you first and foremost, notice, I didn't create you and just leave you without guidance. I created you, but because I am the Rahman, I've given you guidance. I've given you instructions. Now, what, what is that guidance? Taught the Quran. Ar-Rahman allam al-Quran. Taught the Quran. How did the Rahman teach the Quran? That alerts you. And again, if you compare the my tafsir here to the traditional tafsir, it will speak for itself. So if you haven't heard the traditional tafsir I did of Surah Al-Rahman, hear it because you'll see the huge difference in the approaches that I'm taking. It immediately alerts you to you cannot understand the Quran without madadillah, without Allah teaching you the Quran. You can approach the Quran with your intellect. You can approach the Quran where, you know, on occasions where someone dies in a funeral, you read a little bit of the Quran, but it will, it will, you'll, uh, it would have no impact on you. You will learn nothing. You'll understand nothing. You can approach the Quran as a scholar and sit there and, you know, open the books and study the history and, and write like Orientalist scholars do, but it yields nothing. It teaches you nothing. In order for you to understand this book, you need the Rahman. The Rahman must touch your heart with the Rahman's hand. It's as if the Rahman must reach out Allah's hand to you and lift you in your relationship with the Quran. All of you have read the Quran and have read it without Allah as your companion, I assure you, you know nothing of the Quran. In order for Allah to be your companion, all is needed is sincerity and humility. Have sincerity, have humility, work on your grievances against the factory owner or the factory that you're born in, and Allah will be your companion. I say this with certitude. I have no doubt about that. And when Allah is your companion, the music of Surah Al-Rahman will penetrate your heart in a way that no classical music piece that I've heard, and I react physically to classical music, no classical music piece that I've heard can equal. So Ar-Rahman taught the Quran, created khalaq al-insan, created human beings. Human beings, what distinguishes them and separates them is bayan, 
is the ability to decipher, analyze, and understand. But that understanding can acknowledge its dependency on Allah or can rebel against it. And if it rebels against it, then, you know, examine the consequences yourself. Examine the consequences of communism. Just imagine the, 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 the number of crimes that communism has committed against humanity. The number of misery, the, the extent of the misery and suffering that communism has committed against humanity. And the, number, the, the extent to which capitalism without the consciousness of the, the, the moral consciousness that is demanded by the Rahman is also capable of the amount of suffering and misery. So your bayan can either be founded on what Ar-Rahman is and notice why Allah didn't say find yourself simply on Allah but on Ar-Rahman because as we'll see Rahma anything that lacks Rahma anything that doesn't have that stamp or that ingredient of the compassion and of compassion and mercy cannot be of the divine. Allah is teaching us in a Rahman, you want to be close to me? You want to know who I am? Compassion and mercy is your past. If you don't have compassion, you don't have mercy. If your heart doesn't move with empathy, then it's a fool's errand. My path is not attained through anger or through vengeance or through hate. My path is not attained through some abstract, obscure declarations of love. My path is attained through concrete results that follow from the virtue of compassion and mercy. If you are not compassionate and merciful, then it's a fool's errand. Okay. So first, this, this sort of introduction that grabs your attention, Ar-Rahman, Allama quran Khalaqa al-Insan, Allamahu al-Bayan, but then it takes you to something that you truly need the Rahman to see. Because it tells you, الشمس والقمر بحسبان والنجم والشجر يسجدان. So it tells you, A, there is an intricate balance Represented here by Shamsu al Qamar Bhusban, that the, 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 the sun and the moon are intricately measured to sustain life and existence. 
And of course, in, in, we later on in modern science realize that this is absolutely true. In fact, just a, a small variance in the relationship between the sun and the moon, and it's all over. But the part, then it tells you that, you know what? Everything you see in existence, the stars and the trees, prostrate before the Lord. Now, yes, you can say, yes, yes, I understand. They, they, uh, everything worships the Lord. Or, you can say, I just don't want to understand that in an abstract sense, Allah, I want to see it. Allah, I want to see the trees and the stars prostrate to you, before you. How are you going to see that? Unless a Rahman takes your hand and allows you to see it. You want to see how creation prostrates? You want to see how the dogs that make noise all, all the time in our house prostrate? You want to see how the trees prostrate, how the mountains prostrate, how the stars prostrate? You can only see when Allah removes the veils. Now notice the relationship between this and Allamahul Bayan. It is as if Allah is saying there are parts of existence you cannot see without me. But if you want to see, you need me. But in order to have me, you can't have an ego and you can't have a grievance. You must erase your grievances and you must be humble. And then when Allah takes your hand and you see how the entire universe يُسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ The entire universe does tasbih. And the entire universe prostrates Sharif has been for years telling me, you know, to to, to do Surah Al-Rahman. And I, I acknowledge when I did the traditional tafsir. But the reason Surah Al-Rahman is so difficult to talk about, because how do you describe to a human being, even the closest human being to you, how to see existence doing tasbih and the existence prostrating before the Lord. How do you communicate that? When you see it and if you are, if that, if you, if that is your determination, you will see it. 
But when you see it, nothing will remain the same. Nothing is the same. Reality is no longer the reality that you think it is. But does everything supplicate? Does everything do tasbih? Absolutely. That is why, as I'm sitting in my den and I find an ant crawling on my computer, I have a very hard time just killing it. Or I find an ant crawling on my hand, I have a very hard time killing it. Because I know this ant does tasbih and prostrates. I've seen it. Your relationship to existence changes. Those people who blow things up and kill people, innocent people, if they only knew, once you see the way that things supplicate the Lord, you can't destroy them. You can't destroy. النجم والشجر يسجدان والسماء رفعها ووضع الميزان and then Allah draws your attention that everything is intricately balanced you yourself you are a product of an intricate balance a balance is the essence of symmetry, and symmetry is the essence of beauty. What is something that is beautiful? It is something that has symmetry. Without balance, there is no symmetry. And without symmetry, there is no beauty. Same thing in justice. What is justice? It's symmetry between rights and duties. Without symmetry, when something becomes unjust, it is because that balance has been corrupted. And it's often corrupted by things like greed. Greedy lawyers, lazy bureaucrats, things that fail in the performance of the, of the functions of rights and duties. So Allah then draws your attention. You want to understand the essence of what is and the essence of who you are and the essence of why or what you should do. It is all... It all revolves around the concept of the balance. In fact, you yourself cannot attain the Rahman if you are imbalanced. In other words, if you are unjust, if you are a human being, let's say you're a human being that does dhikr all the time and prays all the time, but you are not fair to your family. You, are, you don't have the mizan with your family and your relationships you're not going to attain the path. 
the path is founded in order to have a mizan, you have to have introspection because you have to catch yourself when you are unfair. But Allah doesn't come to those who are unfair. The veils are not lifted. You're not going to see the prostration of the stars and the, and the trees to the Lord if your mizan is imbalanced. So Allah tadghaw fil mizan so that you will so why is the mizan there Allah tadghu is is a a form of of um emphasis and an affirmation it's like saying don't you dare corrupt the balance don't you dare corrupt the mizan and then that is emphasized to us in our psyche. The mizan is, is absolutely necessary for justice. And again, an emphasis. Do not dare corrupt the mizan. You want life, you want happiness in this life, you want happiness in the hereafter. Preserve and maintain the mizan. Justice within the self, justice outside the self, justice in your societies, justice in everything. That is why the dhikr of the surah, as I told you at the beginning, started out with Al-Mizan Ar-Rahman, Al-Mizan Ar-Rahman. Then Allah After affirming the core concepts of a Rahman, the dependency of everything on a Rahman, the critical importance of a Mizan, the relationship between a Mizan and a Rahman, Allah reminds us of creation and what we experience in creation. What Allah has in fact created for us in existence. So we go through the creation of fruit, things that we, we live with all the time but we don't reflect on. The miracle, the miracle of seeds and the way that seeds spread and the way that seeds grow, the miracle of our own creation, the miracle of the creation of the world of the unseen, the paranormal world, the world of the jinn, which, you know, we spend a lot of time denying, but it surrounds us, it's all around us. And subhanAllah, in the modern age, we even have developed technology that can capture shadow people and hear um, voice phenomena, disembodied voice phenomena, and things like that. Anyway. And then the reminder, 
There is a lot in, in when I did the traditional tafsir, I spent a lot of time about the Lord of the two Easts and the two Wests for our purposes. The two Easts and two Wests it could mean the, 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 the solar cycle. It could I mean refer to the traditional tafsir to go through because I went through all the different schools of thought and all the different. Um, but for us, it is simply Allah's reminder of the intricate reality of the balance of life. Everything is so intricately balanced that the, the way the earth is tilted, the way the, the, the sun, the earth revolves around the sun, the way that the moon is, the, the, the intricate balance between night and day, it is as if Allah knows that if there will be people, and there are always people who look at this intricate balance, this this you know encyclopedia that we exist, and say this encyclopedia wrote itself; it evolved. And the 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 the, the, the illi- how illogical that position is to to find an encyclopedia which is existence. And to say, well, this encyclopedia wrote itself, it just evolved. Even if you just take something like DNA and RNA and the way things are coded and the way that that code determines what's an arm and what's a leg and what's an eye and so on, it is impossible. It's, and so, but these points with Surah Al-Rahman should all be elementary and obvious because Surah Al-Rahman addresses the hearts of those who already know. Okay, and then of course when I did the traditional tafsir, I talked a lot about the reference to the two seas, the, the salt, salty water and fresh water. But this is all from an ayatic kawniya that Allah is reminding us that wherever we look, we will see miracles. And among those miracles... The fact that you've got salted water and creatures that live in salted water and fresh water and creatures that live in fresh in, in fresh water and so on and so forth. And the constant refrain that repeats itself, So now you get to this point in the surah and the music of the surah itself is reminding you of the role of a Rahman in creation. And it takes you in that state of being until Ayah 26. And Ayah 26 comes and as if it slaps you on the face, wakes you up. Okay, all of this that you see, all of this remarkable encyclopedia of creation, you want to know the reality? It all vanishes. It is all temporal. It is all 
a reality, but a theatrical reality. It's a reality that was created by Rahman. But in an instant, it all vanishes. And when all vanishes, what remains? What is the only thing that remains? وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ دُجَّلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ It is the face of your Lord. The beautiful face of your Lord. The honorable face of your Lord. That is the only constant truth. Now notice... I'm living with Surah Ar-Rahman. Okay, Allah, I reflected on the Mizan. I reflected on the fact that the Mizan needs your grace. That without your blessing, things can go astray so easily. Allah, I work very hard to achieve justice. Allah, I work very hard in human rights. I work very hard in political asylum. I work very hard in human trafficking. I want justice. And I know without your aid and without your help, things go wrong so quickly and so awfully. And Allah, beyond that, I've reflected on an existence And I see through your grace that this existence, to the extent that I see beauty, that beauty comes from you. It is intricately balanced. Intricately balanced. But when I look at as a tree, at, at a tree Allah. If I see it just as timber, woods, and branches, and leaves, without the breath of the Lord, it is just a tree. But when I see the breath of the Lord in the tree, I can see the tree prostrate, and then the tree is beautiful in a way that I would not be able to conceive of without you, Ya Rahman. Then it takes you and tells you only the face of your Lord will remain. And here you stop. I say Allah Ya Rahman Can I see your face? That face of glory and unadulterated beauty. If I recite Surah Ar-Rahman as many times as I can, if I sit longing for you, can I see your face? Because the more I 
reflect on Surah Al-Rahman, the more I see that the only truth is you. The only true symmetry is you. The only true beauty is you. The only true mizan is you. And so in my dhikr, I'm no longer saying Al-Mizan, Ar-Rahman. At this point, I'm just uttering repeatedly Ar-Rahman, 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 Ar-Rahman. Ya Jalali wal-Ikram. And if I cannot see your face in my lifetime, my passion, can I see it in the hereafter? Can you quench this longing in the hereafter? Because when I've seen the trees and the mountains and the stars prostrate, I've seen something so beautiful. And if it is so beautiful, what about your beauty? What about your beauty? At this point, let's take a break. Let's take a two minute break. People come back. Come back. Hello, hello. I miss all of you. May, may Allah allow us to gather physically together, inshallah. Okay. At this point, at this point, it is as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers you. فَإِذًا شَقَّتْ السَّمَاءُ فَكَانَتْ وَرْدَةً كَالْدِهَانِ It is as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers you and says, you might not be one of the aqtab, one of those awliya illah that achieve tajalli on this earth you might not see the face of your Lord on this earth. You're not pure enough. You're not clean enough. 
You're not beautiful enough. But you wait. Because there is a point in which the heavens will dissolve like a pale melting flower. This reality will dissolve. And when this reality dissolves and you come to face your Lord, you will have markings, you will appear either as one of the beautiful ones or one of the ugly ones. فَيَوْمَئِذٍ لَا يُسْأَلُ عَنْ ذَنْبِهِ إِنْسٌ وَلَا Allah will not need to ask questions of humans and jinn to know who's beautiful and who's ugly. In fact, يُعْرَفُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ بِسِيمَاهُمْ فَيُؤْخَذُ بِالنَّوَاسِي وَالْأَقْدَامِ Those who have lived an ugly life and are resurrected ugly, their characteristics will show right there on their faces before they go on their knees and they see the, the entire film of their life run before them. As Surah Al-Jasiyah told us, It is a monumental moment. You will appear and beauty, your beauty will be carried on your face and your ugliness will be carried on your face. The truth of who you are will be right there. Transparent. At that moment, there are no more excuses. There are no more delusions. There is no more shenanigans. You can't play games. You can't hide things. There are no more arguments. Things are transparent. Because on, in life on earth, in order to see the truth, we need to work very hard to see the truth, to achieve transparency, because we have willpower and our wills can camouflage things very well. We are very good liars. We lie to ourselves, we lie to others, but when all is erased and nothing remains but the face of your Lord, that is the moment of utter transparency. And the moment of utter transparency, all is seen. And Allah, in a short segue, tells us at that moment, Those who will be grabbed by their ankles to suffer 
the results of their actions in hellfire. It's as if they appear on the scene and they're grabbed, they're taken away to meet their fate. But then the surah continues on as if their role have ended. Okay, they're now out of the picture. And the surah focuses then on what? On the fate of those who come in beatitude, in beauty, beautified. Those who are ugly have exited the scene. Surah Al-Rahman, remember, is there to console you. And console you how? In a word, Surah Al-Rahman is telling you, you see all of this in your life, all the struggles, all the hardship, all the aspirations, all the dreams, all, all, this, all the things that you, you, you wrestle with, all of that is temporary and temporal and artificial. And it will be wiped away and only the face of your Lord will remain. Now, what do you do with that? Don't be among those who will exit the scene, will go away. Because you want to be among those who will come at that moment wanting to continue with the Rahman, wanting to continue the rest of the narrative, the rest of the journey with the Rahman. And now we come to the part in Surah Al-Rahman when it talks about after the, the, the ugly ones have exited the scene, it talks about Al-Jinan. And it talks about Jannatan wa min dunihima Jannatan. Two Jannas. And other than these two Jannas, there are another two Jannas. If you follow the traditional tafsir, you find that I spent a lot of time going through ayah by ayah, telling you what all the different mufassirun said about every word and the meaning of every word, and so on and so forth. And the traditional tafsir typically tells you that the reason it talks about Jannatan is that there are two Jannas, one for human beings and one for jinn. And that, remember, there are a total of four Jannas. There are 
two Jannas and then Wadunihima, and other than these two Jannas, there are another two Jannas. And so the traditional tafsir tells you that there's one Jannah for human beings and one Jannah for jinn, and that there are two Jannas that are occupied by Al Awalun, by the first generations, and two Jannas are occupied by Al Mul Al Um Um the, the the generations that come later, I'm I'm, I'm blanking out on on the word, but anyway, that in other words that there are two jannas of high level that are occupied by people like the prophets and the companions, and then there are two jannas that are occupied by later generations. And that the two Jannas that are later are of a lower status than the two Jannas that are occupied by the first generations. Allahu Alam, Allah knows best, but this is not the way I understand Surah Al Rahman. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I have to tell you that the way I understand it. I mean, of course, you're absolutely free to reject it completely. But the way I understand it is completely different. And in fact, it might be that you won't find a single tafsir that supports me. It might be that. Surah Al-Rahman talks about Jannatan. Two Jannas. A lot of the, some of the Mufassirun said that the two Jannas are not for jinn and human beings, but are that every individual will have two Jannas. That's closer to the way I understand it. But what I understand it as saying is that within us is a duality. And that duality, if you will, the positive side of you the negative side of you, the, the light side of you and the dark side of you. In our life on earth, we are constantly, the, the two parts of you, that duality is constantly in a state of struggle. We aspire to the mizan, we aspire for the balance between two, these two sides the dark side and the light side, the positive side and the negative side. But it is a struggle. Sometimes we achieve the balance and often the balance eludes us. When Allah talks about a jannatan Allah is talking about these two sides of you finally achieving reconciliation and repose in the hereafter. You become a unified, holistic human being. And in fact, like 
in the traditional tafsir, I went through how Sufis understand the description of the jinan. And they don't understand the description of the jinan as in fact referring to any physical reality. So when it says that there, there, there is hanging fruit, the Sufis say that these hanging fruits refer to the fruits of knowledge. That in fact in the hereafter the the fruit of knowledge will become attainable to you. I agree with that, and I'll 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 detail a little bit more. That in fact, all the descriptions of Jinan in Surah Al-Rahman is not necessarily referring to material reality but to a different reality using language that brings the imagery close to our minds and hearts. So let's go through a little bit and, and unpack this. وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ فَبِأَيِّ أَلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ زَوَاتَ أَفْنَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ فِيهِمَا عَيْنَانِ تَجْرِيَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ فِيهِمَا مِنْ كُلِّ فَاكِهَةٍ زَوْجَانِ Okay. So, Allah then, for those who lived cognizant of Allah, Khawf, we often translate this as scared of or in fear of, but that's not a really good translation because khaf al-shay is not just to be terrified or scared, but actually to be in reverence of something, and because of that reverence, you draw closer to it. So when we say khaf Allah, Fear Allah. We translate it as fear Allah. But the language is really not just be scared. It's have proper reverence of Allah and draw closer to Allah. So, لِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ And notice here, مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ That not just have khawf towards Allah, but, ha- but have proper reverence towards maqam, towards the place of Allah, towards the role of Allah. We've talked about all of this existence and the mizan and the creation and the, the dissolution of creation. Were you cognizant of the place and the role of Allah in all of that? Did you truly understand that existence exists but for your Lord? As Ibn Arabi says, that if Allah abandons existence for a blink of an eye, it would fall apart. Ibn Arabi comments in Surah Al-Rahman and says this in the context of Surah Al-Rahman. Were you cognizant 
of the place that the role that your Lord plays. And if you are, then you have the Jannatan. Jannatan literally means your proper harvest. Majanait. Waljinan is what is given force to you as your just reward. So, what is that just reward? In my zikr and my reflection, and in the journey, and again, I emphasize when you do, when you compare my traditional tafsir to this tafsir, you see that when the traditional tafsir, I kept out myself, my opinions out, because they have no place when you do when you're presenting the tradition. But your jinan, your reward, will finally be the reconciliation of your soul. The conflicting sides of you will come together in ala illa in the Allah of Allah. And then the surah goes on to describe the results of this reconciliation at two levels. I don't understand, again, I don't understand the Jannatan as one for people and one for jinn. I believe that it's talking to the individual. And Allahu Alam. And it is telling the individual what is attainable. And what is attainable is at two levels. I don't believe that there are two Jannahs for the first generations and the two Jannahs for the later generations. But it is talking about what is attainable at two levels. The first level. The first level is a level, and here I just for um, to help bring ideas closer. Here's what, for instance, Jilani says about. فِيهِمَا عَيْنَانِ تَجْرِيَانِ فَبِأَيِّ أَلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ فِيهِمَا مِنْ كُلِّ فَاكِهَةٍ زَوْجَانِ So here, Jilani is commenting on what we translate as it has two rivers flowing and has two pairs of every fruit. So, Jilani says, وَفِي تِلْكَ الْجَيْنَّتَيْنِ عَيْنَانِ مُتَشَاءِ متشاب... متشاب... 
على على مقتضى التجلليات التجليات الحبيه اي وفي كل فاكهه زوجان صنفان من المعارف وفيهما صنفان من المعارف فيهما والحقائق على مقتضى تربيه العينان المذكورتان so what is jilani saying saying that the fihima aynani tajriyan is not referring to water and a river what it's referring to sorry hold on a second what it's referring to is that what reveals itself to you in the streams of knowledge of the de- nature of divine beauty. So the way Jilani understands it and the way a lot of Sufis understand it is that when Allah says Aynani Tajriyan, these are streams of knowledge and streams of consciousness that bring you closer to the divine beauty. And when Allah says, فِيهِمَا مِنْ كُلِّ فَاكِهَةٍ زَوْجَانٍ What is a fakiha? What is a fakiha? A fakiha could be fruit, but a fakiha could be anything that brings, that sustains life as a um, anything that sustains life that is not necessarily fruit. So Jilani says that in fact when the Surah Al-Rahman says that it has ifakiha, what it's talking about to just use his, to, to use his exact language صنفان من المعارف والحقائق على مقتضى تربية العينان المذكورتان So it's talking about the yield that comes from the stream that it has levels of enlightenment Ijilani understands it to a level of enlightenment to humans and jinn. I understand it as levels of enlightenment to your two competing and conflicting sides. Now, notice here, so what distinguishes the first level of the Tujinan and the second level of the Tujinan? Your clue comes from reflecting on one of the most remarkable and profound ayahs is in this entire surah. مُتَّكِئِينَ عَلَى فُرِشٍ بَطَائِنُهَا مِنْ إِسْطَبْرَقٍ وَجَنَى جَنَّتَيْنِ دَانٍ This is 
54. Literal translation, they are lying down on couches that has istabrak. We'll, we'll talk about what istabrak is. Do you have the translation in 54? Yeah. Can you just read it? They recline upon beds lined with rich brocade, the fruits of the two gardens near at hand. They are lying on couches with rich brocade and the fruits of the two gardens at hand. So the literalists simply take this, okay, so you're lying down on couches, you have fruits, you pick the fruits, you eat the fruits. Simple enough. That is not the way I understand it at all. And that is also not the way that Jilani understands it at all. And others like Jilani. Your clue here is that word istabrak. Bata'inuha min istabrak. Okay, so you're reclining on something. But that something, it's bata'in. What is the bata'in? It's always contrasted. Bata'un al-shay' is always contrasted with zahir al-shay'. The bata'in al-shay' is its inner truth, its inner reality, its inner being. Zahir al-shay is its outer appearance. So here the ayah tells you that the istabrak is the bata'in of it. So if istabrak means brocade, the inner being of this couch are brocades. They ha- it has brocades in its inner being. Some said istabrak doesn't mean inner brocade. It means the best and the tightest form of silk. So is it saying then that it's inner truth, the inner truth of these couches that you're lying on is the best silk? The traditionalist said, well, it's telling you what is the inside of it, so then letting you imagine what could be outside. So in other words, if it's inside is this very fine silk, can you imagine how beautiful the outside is? Or if it's inner inner reality is the brocade, can you imagine how it's, uh, the, how beautiful the outside is? This is not where my zikr took me. Istabrak, among the meanings of Istabrak, is shining luminous light. The essence of these couches is luminous light. And as you approach, and here the couches are symbolic, So you will be in a state of repose and you will pick the fruits of knowledge. That's the fawakih, Dania. You will pick the fruits of knowledge. And as you pick the fruits of knowledge, what is the passion that brought you into this place in the first place? What is the passion? The face of your Lord. 
That is... That is the passion that brought you there in the first place. You are, cannot approach the face of your Lord unless you are in a place of illumination. And the fruits of knowledge yield themselves finally to you. All the things that you passionately longed for to see beauty in its true sense. You've seen a lot of ugliness in the world. You've seen what happens when the demon was the demonic side. You've seen all the ugliness that can come to be away from your Lord when people drift away from the beauty of God, the Brahman, the Rahman. When there is no Rahman, there is no mercy and compassion, you've seen all the ugliness. You want to see the opposite. Finally, let me see that unadulterated beauty exists. And that is the face of your Lord. And that is attainable. symbolically in this reclining state on things the truth of which is illumination is tabrak what illuminates and shines and you reach for the fruits of knowledge when we did the traditional tafsir we talked about all the different interpretations about qasiratul tarf a lot of traditional misogynistic tafsirs say that in heaven you will find virgins sitting in tents waiting for men to come to them and these virgins will be virgins and they will only be interested in the men that come to them. Now listen to how Jilani understands Qasurat al-Tarf. Qasurat al-Tarf. أي كل منهم منحصرة الطرف مقصورة النظرة على كل من هي ترد عليه بحيث لا تتعدى إلى غيره لاختلاف قابلياتهم حسب الفطرة الأصلية بمقتضى اختلاف تجليات الحق. وشؤونه بحيث لم يطمسهن أي لم يتلزز بالمعرفة معهن ولا بعدهن كذلك إذ مراتب الشهود على مقتضى تجليات الوجود وتطوراته فكما لا تكرر ولا اتحاد بين اثنين في التجليات الإلهية كذلك في مراتب أرباب الشهود القابلة لها المستعدة إياها So what is Jilani is talking about 
you 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 take your 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 patriarchal biases out you take your male chauvinistic tendencies out i told you that to be able to cleanse the self to achieve the mizan is very difficult and to read the quran without male chauvinism is very difficult because men want to see that that's part of what they, they, they they've been programmed they want women to submit So when you take Qasirat al-Tarf, you take the words literally. Qasirat al-Tarf. What, what are the words in a literal sense without the sexist bias? It could refer, and Jilani understands it as referring, to levels of enlightenment that are limited and in a proportion, uh, limited and proportional to your tajalliyat, to your level of advancement in the attainment of divine knowledge. They have not been corrupted. All knowledge is corrupted by other human beings and jinn. No truth reaches you that has not been bias to one extent or another by the normal or paranormal. <laughs> That's the nature of knowledge. So what you have here is unadulterated pure knowledge that comes directly from the divine. So, so far the Jannatan, the first two Jannas, are thoroughly about Wajhu Rabbika Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram, about the face of your Lord. And the levels of attainment and enlightenment, and to put it bluntly, the extent to which you will be able to see your Lord. Remember the story of Ibrahim السلام, when he told Allah I want to see you and Allah said well I will show myself to this mountain and then the mountain crumbles what this story tells us is that our Lord is not just beautiful but our Lord is something else and the extent to which you will be able to absorb and perceive. Now, we come to a very important point. If you go back to the traditional tafsir, and especially you pay attention to I went through in the traditional tafsir what Jilani said about the two Jannas. The first two Jannas have a level of enlightenment and illumination that exceeds 
the second two Jannahs. In fact, the second two Jannahs, in other words, Allah talks in Surah Rahman about two Jannahs and then tells us about two other Jannahs. The first two Jannahs are described in terms that are clearly not material, not physical. The later two Jannahs are described in terms that sound far more physical than the second two Jannahs. Al-Jilani says, well, what that means is that there are people that all they want from God, they lived good lives, but all they want from God is material reward. So Allah is going to say in the hereafter here, you know, you want fruits and you want meat and you want honey and you want you want to, to material existence. These are the second set of two jannas. While those who are only satisfied with the with the face of the Lord will go to the two other jannas, the higher level jannas. That is what people like Jilani says and what Ibn Arabi says and what a lot, a lot of Sufis say. My dhikr on Surah Al-Rahman has led me to a different conclusion. And I know it is a conclusion that will scandalize a lot of traditionals. The second two jannas are lower jannas. The first two jannas are higher jannas. But reading Surah Al-Rahman and living with Surah Al-Rahman has led me, and, and this is in, in my long engagement with the Quran, and you know, if, if we do that year thing, then I'll have the opportunity to demonstrate this in numerous surah, in numerous tafsir sessions. Why do we assume that the hereafter is a place in which there is no growth? Why do we assume that you can go to hellfire, you can expatiate for your sins, and eventually go to heaven? That's the traditional position, right? If you're a believer, you can go to hell, you pay for your sins, then Allah send, eventually sends you to heaven. So why do we assume that there is growth there, but there is no growth in Jannah? Why do we assume that you cannot land in the lower two Jannahs, where you are first, your level of comprehension is that you just want to first feel safe. You're anxious, you're scared. It's a hereafter, after all. But once you are in these Jannahs, the lower Jannahs, how long do you think you will want to eat fruit and have fancy meals and indulge in sex? How long before you say, I feel like a pig? I feel like an idiot. All I do is consume. 
while I see those people who live in the beauty of the Lord, they want for nothing. They desire nothing. They live in a state of bliss. Don't you think you would want to be like them? Don't you think you would want to grow? You would beg your Lord and say, Allah, Ya Rahman, I'm sick of the fruit. I'm sick of the meat. I'm sick of the sex. I want you. This is what Surah Al-Rahman is talking about. There are the lower Jannahs. But they are the Jannahs of the lower Jannahs are the Jannahs of potentiality. Through which you can grow into the higher Jannahs. My understanding of the hereafter that again, I can demonstrate in surah after surah after surah. Is in the same way that you can expatiate for your sins and grow from hellfire to heaven, from damnation to forgiveness. In Jannah, you can grow from smear acceptance to a state of beauty, to beauty, Beauty, beautifulness here. <laughs> that the longing, the longing for Allah doesn't stop just because you made it to Jannah. Then a Surah Al-Rahman comes and tells us, you know, you could be in the lower two Jannahs where you enjoy material things, but there are these two higher levels, the levels in which the Mizan is most perfect in which you are among the muqarrabun, the ones al-muqarrabun, those who are close to Allah, those who achieve a level of beautification and a level of perception of the beauty of their Lord. Don't you want to be among those, even if you land in the lower jannahs, grow into the higher Jannahs. And then the remarkable closing of Surah Al-Rahman. Tabaraka ismu rabbika dhujjalali wal ikram. In all of this, in this whole narrative, from life on earth, to the dissolution of life on earth, to the results, to the... There is one reality that is your anchor. 
one reality. Tabarak ismu rabbika. Praise or Tabarak is blessed, most blessed, most purified, most exalted. The name of your Lord, the name of the Rahman, who without which no Mizan is possible, no perception is possible, no beauty is possible, no Jinan is possible. That is your all and everything. So, because of the music of Surah Al-Rahman, because of the message of Surah Al-Rahman, it has been described as the Surah of the Brokenhearted or the Surah of Consolation. Why? Because you come to the Surah and it takes you in a trance. It's sort of telling you, remember the reality. Yes, you might have hardship. Yes, you might have broken dreams. Yes, you might have all these struggles. Yes, you might have all this pain. But remember, all of this is an illusion. All of this is temporary. All of this is make-believe. There is a reality that underlies it all, and that reality is the Rahman. And when you attain that understanding from Surah Rahman, you feel like someone is, you know, patting your back, saying, it's okay. You feel better. If you live with Surah Al-Rahman beyond feeling better, then it takes you to levels of perception. When I get to the point of constantly chanting, Allah man ar-Rahman, Allah man ar-Rahman, what I plead with Allah for is an understanding of the jinan. I want, even if I can't see them with my eyes, I want to see the jinan with my heart. And I constantly plead with Allah to make me among, to make me wise enough, clean enough, pure enough, beautiful enough to attain the higher jinan, not the lower jinan, other than avoiding hellfire. I mean, that, of course, is, you know, for granted that first you want to avoid the hellfire, but the aspiration, I am impatient. I, I, I don't want to go through the process it is much easier to work hard on this earth to be in good standing than it is to work in the hereafter. 
because I can imagine, I mean, once you take time and we're talking about, you know, you're not living 50 years, 60 years, whatever years you live, you're talking about a very different span of time. You're talking about a very different reality. I don't want to, to, to even think about the type of risks involved there and the type of, you know, how long that will be or even the possibilities that some people will never make it beyond the first level of Jinan. And that, it, my friends, are Surah Rahman to me. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Shall we pray Asr and then take questions? You want to tell? Yeah. Okay, so we're going to pray Asr now and take a break, but um, please send your questions um, through the chat or um, you can text them to me or put them on the YouTube live stream, however. So, um, and then we'll be back, inshallah, in about 10 minutes. If you also just want to share any thoughts or comments, I think that would also be really um, important to have um, the professor maybe hear your reaction to. I, I, I forgot what, you know, you always forget something. I forgot there is a hadith, there is a hadith when the Prophet ﷺ, it's a hadith that uh, modern Muslims just never hear anymore. But the Prophet ﷺ was asked, um, what is the bata in ministabraq? these couches that we're talking about and the istabraq is its bata'in, its its true essence and so on. And the Prophet ﷺ said, It is shining light. That hadith became part of the reflection process that <laughs> you, you if the if its essence and its inner truth is shining light, then what is it? These are couches, or we we, we say couches, but you know what? But reclining things that are shining light. Uh, so, and I I I forgot to mention that. So we'll pray Asr and come back, inshallah.